recorder when I was a tween And in retrospect all those recordings were obscene But now I'm an adult and I can laugh at myself Why not play them for someone else? These are the tapes and I hope you enjoy A slice of nostalgia through the ears of a boy Travel back in time with a familiar sound Let's all get lost and rewound Lost and Rewound, episode 14, The Ice Zone With special guest Ryan Reich Welcome again to the program, listeners from near and perhaps far I am Alon. I'm Doug. And I'm Melissa. For those of you listening, wondering just what the hell you've gotten yourself into, here's a recap. When I was in middle school, I carried around a handheld tape recorder. Over the course of three years, I recorded about 50 tapes under the project name The Danziger Zone. These tapes ended up going almost entirely unheard until Doug, Melissa, and I had the bright idea to create this show. Now it has fallen upon us as a collective to distribute, evaluate, and naturally just laugh a whole lot as we dive into the rough, raw, and rudimentary sounds of old media, specifically that of the cassette tape. Ultimately, we hope to achieve absolute humility as we come to grips with the sounds of our youth and attempt to connect the dots between then and now. Let's get started, ya! back to Lost and Rewound. If you're listening to the show, thank you. If you want to listen again, now you can listen on iTunes as well as SoundCloud. We're at soundcloud.com slash lost and rewound. As an official podcast. We had to apply and be approved as a podcast. We made it. That's exciting news for us, guys. Danke Shane SoundCloud. Legitimacy. (laughs) Anyways. Anyways, yes. Before we get to the interview, I did want to bring up the fact that uh, Melissa... Uh, you brought in some tapes, and I'm really excited for this because um, this this yeah. is a, a, a haul, if you will. It's a bit of a haul, and it's a little bit of an audio cassette archaeology dig. Uh, one of my neighbors was moving out, and he had 20 years' worth of cassette tapes that he was going to toss. I got a box of them and sifted through, and there's probably in this bag 15, maybe 20 mystery mixtapes. I'm looking at some titles right now. Passion Sources, The Golden Earrings Mix, and probably my favorite t- title, Hopeful, Hurt, or Pissed Off Girls. Hmm. I, I feel like there's a lot of angsty this And none of these Somehow tapes have any... They're, they're titled, but there's nothing written in the liner notes or the inserts. So um, over the next couple weeks, we're going to pop them in a tape player, see what's on them, and hopefully we'll get to listen to some of them over on the B-sides. Yes. Solve a, solve a mystery or two. I think that's this makes uh, for prime B-sides material. If you have your own mixtapes, we would like to review them and pick them apart on the B-sides. Oh, man. Not critically. We're not mean. <laughs> we just like to talk about them and have fun. Listen to our pilot B-sides episode to get an idea. It was pretty good time. The B-sides are all just sort of about having fun and laughing at your own awful taste in music when you were 12. And sort of remembering what we listened to. So... Send us your B-side. Send us your other tapes. Or get all our plugs out of the way at the top of the show this month. Do we cover everything? Yeah, we covered everything. Let's get. Let's get, let's move on. Our guest this month is a gentleman by the name of Ryan Reich. 
he holds the distinguished honor of being an original Danziger Zone contributor. He also holds the unique perspective of knowing me longer than just about everyone. No, not anyone. I really mean everyone. And he was kind enough to join us here in the studio for this episode. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? Not too much. I think it's about time that <laughs> it's, it's you... It's not going too much. Not, not going too not much. Going to... I just it's, want to it's, it's, it goes. It goes here. It goes there. It's been a very slow, snowy, icy kind of time. So it's not going very much. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, although we are in the middle of a very brief thaw. Go on, do you want to take it again? Or you want to no, going? I thought that was funny. That I, like was funny. <laughs> I like making fun of you on the show, just a little. We, we got to do, uh, do it from time to time. How long have you all really known each other? How far um, back does this friendship go? Do you want to sell, tell the story since... I mean, you, we, I'm, we're both on the same page about this. Yeah, I mean, our, our parents were really good friends. They did uh, a series of craft shows together. I'm sure at many points in their lives. But they both settled in Woodstock. And we've been friends since... I think I was conscious. Yeah, when you were born. So you guys predate kindergarten. Oh yeah. I, I, I there we is predate a, walking. There is a photo of me. You guys were rugrats together, like exactly. in, right. sitting around in the diaper. Yeah, there's a photo of me at one years old with a newborn Ryan Reich, uh, and his uh, <laughs> sister was the same age as my sister. Uh, I mean, they're the same age, and so growing up. All four of us would hang out, and it was all sorts of crazy. Craft people's, craft people's kids. Woodstock at Beef Babies. Oh, yeah. yeah. Editor's note for more on Alon's sister, Sarah. Listen to our previous episode. Indeed. <laughs> um, but actually, before we get into the main component of why you know, you're here, I have to ask, just so that we're all on the same page, um, because we're going to be listening to these clips that we have, and your name was Ryan Rich, but you have changed it to Ryan Reich. Could you elaborate on why you decided to change the pronunciation of your last name? It's true. At some point, I started to really kind of value one of my uncle's inputs on pretty much all aspects of thought. And uh, he was of the mind that since our, you know, great-great-grandfather pronounced it Reich and was Austrian um, and was told to change it when he immigrated into the United States that uh, we should start pronouncing it Reich again because those guys at the border are all assholes. Did you yeah, take it back. <laughs> and they try and, yeah, they, and they still try and anglicize everybody, so I guess just decided to take it back to the German heritage or the Austrian heritage. Well, they, they wanted him to change the spelling so it was rich. Yeah. Um, I know in a previous episode you mentioned Mike Rich. I did not want to get confused with Mike Rich. Please don't um, ever let anyone confuse you with that guy. My goodness. He was he was very loud. Very loud and uncensored man. Mm. Or child. But at the same time, your name was spelled much differently. So it's phonetically, it made no difference because you had an E-I instead of just an I. Yep, but that also didn't stop people from calling me over the uh, PA system. Ryan Reach, Ryan Reich. Uh, any number of weird translations of it that doesn't make any sense. So what so. does it mean when you decide to pronounce your name differently and everybody else in your immediate family still spell, pronounces it rather the same exact way? I don't know. I've, it's never really well, been too much of an issue. We don't really call each other by our last name. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> good, yeah. call, good call. Say, how often does your last name... I mean, telemarketers always call asking for Reich or Reach or something, so... It's an easy transition, I think. 
Fair well, enough. Well, Alon, you made a transition with how you pronounce your first name. That's true. In going from Elon to Alon that as is, an adult. Yes. I could ask you the same question. Do you have trouble enforcing that amongst peers and family? It's interesting because it's sort of there's a it's a, there's a double uh, thing going on here. Um, I don't really know the best word to put it, but not just the pronunciation, but the spelling. Mm-hmm. For a very long time, I would and Ryan knows this. I was spelling my name with one n instead of two n's. My legal name it has two n's in the name as opposed to just one. So for the longest time, I was spelling my name with just one n and pronouncing it Elon, which is for what most of the Jewish heritage uh, notice it as. They pronounce it as Elon. Hmm. Uh, but for whatever reason, I guess, I just was pron- pronouncing it that way and spelling it differently. And then when I got older, when I guess it was like 18 going to college or something, my parents and I chatted about it. And I guess I found out that they were regarding it as pronunciation alone, like French style. <laughs> Two ends, putting the emphasis at the end, and the, alone. Yeah, and I like how every time I have to do that, I have to do like a little like wiggle, like a little, <laughs> like a little sachet with my yeah. shoulders, because that's what doing, French do. doing a shoulder shake, and I don't know what for. Because <laughs> he's fancy. For all my French listeners, I can assure you, it is not intentionally uh, insulting. I apologize. <laughs> that that was way overcompensating. But the fact is, is that yes, um, I did pronounce it differently. And all over the recording, actually, what's funny is, is that you have people in you know, Ryan Brooks, Ben, whomever, pr- pronounce my name Elon, but I'm pronouncing my name Elon because I am still an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna One say I didn't That's... really remember ever saying Elon. I always kind of, I guess, when I was young, assumed that it was, I don't know, just. You being a little weird. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, he's obviously still a little weird. I love you, but you're still a little weird. I love you too, and I don't get why people consider what I'm doing here normal, but, you know, here we are talking about recording at, you know, in our 20s and 30s, and I gotta ask you, Ryan, um, your experience with the Danziger Zone, you, you were telling us before we started recording, is much like my sister's in that you don't really have a lot of memories about your past, but... Do you have any re- recollection about recording? And I remember, bring my recorder over. I remember you recording a lot. I don't really remember saying a whole lot. You, you gave me a few of the clips before I came out here to listen to, and I remember most of them happening, but I have no idea what the context was. Um, I have no idea if there were a million more recordings of it. I don't even remember what my own recordings were, because I obviously had to copy you at some point when when we were little, you being my older oldest friend. Right. The namesake for the show is the uh, the, the Ice Zone, being a recording series that Ryan created, and uh, we'll get into that a little later. Was that called the Ice Zone, or was that just the the one clip? Um, that actually is a great question. Did you make more than just one tape of the Ice Zone? I think I made multiple tapes. And, and yeah, it was called the Ice Zone. Awesome. I was a big fan of uh, Iceman from Top Gun. Nice. <laughs> I was wondering where it came from. Oh, yeah. Val Kilmer. Jeez. With our track record on the show, I half expected it to be a WWE reference. No, well, I was never as big into wrestling as Elon and Brooks were. I actually thought it was probably just like a Marvel superheroes thing. Like, like, like Iceman like yeah. Ice from X-Men? Yeah. 
I wish yeah, but he didn't, he, didn't really, he didn't really have a zone that he took people to, so I don't know <laughs> what that true. would be a reference to. Exactly. You're in the ice. Like, uh, you're, in, you're in the ice zone. That's true. That is a val- <laughs> That would be a Kilmerism for sure. Can we call them Kilmerisms? Are they called Kilmerisms or Kilmer? Yeah, I have to go to the doctor for a Kilmerism. <laughs> <laughs> or you go because you had a Kilmerism. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Kilmerism feels like an, an like an ailment or like a heart attack, like a. <laughs> You know, the, or a bunion. Like I gotta, get my, <laughs> I gotta get my Kilmerism looked at. A bunion with some blonde hairs sprouting off of it. The oh. movie, <laughs> the movie thing. Uh, you, know, you being such a fan of Top Gun at such a young age, uh, and granted, you know we watched movies a lot at each other's houses. Uh, you didn't have cable growing up. Oh no, not even, not even a semblance of it. So you were watching all sorts of movies from the video store. To sort of make up for that. This what did you watch on your television without cable? Yeah. We had an antenna, and it was right outside my bedroom window, and there was this brick amplifier that sat under my bed and probably messed with all of my dreams for my formative years. Baked your brain. And it could pull in channel 2, 4, 5, sometimes 7 and 9, and occasionally WPIX 11. Never so, 13, though. No, never 13. Was never that, got any was PBS. Was 13 the best? PBS. Mm. No culture. No Sesame Street. So, so no you had no culture. cable, but you still also didn't get Sesame Street. Uh, well, we got recordings. My grandma was very industrious with her VCR. So she would record cable TV from New Jersey and either mail tapes or send them home with my mom when she was coming back from a craft fair. Um, there's nothing. My, there's nothing more '90s than a grandma mailing you a tape. Yeah, mailing <laughs> you a, page, and, a homemade VHS. And one of the one of the best parts of that is that my grandma and grandpa were both Trekkies. Amazing. So I got to watch like the same few episodes of Star Trek over and over when I was sick, and bad recordings of uh, Star Wars with like poor attempts at cutting the commercials out. Nice. Um, just stuff like that. Grandma loved you enough to, to go run up to the TV and start, stop? Oh, she had a remote. She had a really nice remote. I think that was one of the first TVs that I ever saw with a working remote. Because I, if I remember correctly, you guys had a, a TV with a remote. And the buttons got worn down so much that some of them stopped working. Yeah. Well, one of the TVs that we had at our house was uh, passed down to us from my mom's mom's um house uh the apartment in brooklyn it was this old school tv that i can't for the life of me remember but the buttons were metal the remote was metal and uh god forbid there would ever be a time where you actually didn't have a remote and you had to get up and press the button on the tv to turn it on well but that was the battle that i had growing up was i would have to walk up to the tv and turn a knob that goes chuk 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 and then all of a sudden it's just nope we're not getting that channel today well, you lived in a pretty secluded area. Uh, I mean, not necessarily Woodstock anymore. Very much uh, kind of in the sticks and a little hamlet called uh, Mount Tremper, is it? Yep. Yeah, it was about 15 minutes outside of town, one and a half miles up a mountain, and uh, about a quarter mile down a dirt road that nobody would plow. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty much... As secluded as you could get when uh, the winter storms of the early, early 90s and late 80s hit. So, Did friends come to your house mostly, or did you try as desperately to go to other friends' houses? Uh, well, I was actually talking to a friend about this recently. I remember leaving as often as possible 
once video game consoles got in the mix. Yeah. And I remember spending a lot of time at your house uh-huh. watching you play Earthbound and Mega Man. Sure. Were you also consoleless as a child? I was. And I got Super Nintendo about three years after everyone stopped playing it. Well, hey, I, I feel bad that I didn't include you enough in all the video games. That's like one of the worst parts about me as a kid when I had video games. I didn't have enough of the shoot 'em ups, the uh, fighting games, and all that. That was clearly not my forte because I didn't have any friends other than like you and like a few other people. Well, I was trying to set myself for a joke, and I'm like talking <laughs> to you, and I'm like, I didn't have I any friends. friends. Well, except for our guest Ryan here. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyway, I don't. I didn't see it as such a bad thing. I mean, I never had a problem watching people play video games because I was often so terrible at them myself. Yeah. Um, like I remember watching you play Mega Man, and you'd go through like three levels without getting hit barely at all. You're giving me then too much credit. Jesus. I would just drop off of a platform five times in a row and then get the game over screen, and you're like, "Oh, that's that's too bad. Let's go have a sandwich." <laughs> you're actually reminding me about something that we didn't set up. Uh, and we'll get to some of this very shortly. But there was a clip that I forgot to set up for this where we're, we recorded Donkey Kong Country. Uh, uh, it was a, a... I think it was like a CD-ROM or something? Or it was a tape that came with the video game. You popped it in the VHS, and they were giving you tips and tricks on how to like do the, like what to do with this game. Because it was such a revolutionary game that Rare made for the SNES. And I I may be talking out of my ass right now, but I swear to God I remember that the people who made this game were giving the um, purchaser of the game these kids, like, tricks of how to go through the game, like, when they first are starting out. Now that I'm talking about it, let us get to this first clip. Um, Sure. This was the first time I think you ever appeared, technically, on the recordings, uh, but it isn't necessarily heavily involving your voice but very much what's going on with you is important um you apparently got lost and we were looking for you let's take a listen what is love september 11th 1994 we're searching for ryan rich my friend and our friend as but now we have found out that he might have been he might have tricked us and now is is hiding in his car in his vehicle, Come a on. super a Subaru Shellback. Now we will see where he if he has hit. Yes. And he, we have found him. We succeeded. He must have hit in the back, and we did not Ryan. see him. Ryan. Yes. What, what happened, Ryan? Hey, Ryan. Hold on. September 11th, 1994, recorder's log. We have succeeded to find Ryan, and now we have found the reason. He is mad at his dad. He thinks he is a pig mixed with a donkey's ass. You know what I mean? And and now we have found a plan. This is called Operation Jackass. Wait, it works. From recorder's log, the dance goes on. Uh, bye. The plan worked. We did him through it. Shaking up. And then it sprayed right into his face. Then he was sorry. Blackmail service is good. <laughs> right for the moment. So, so many things. Um, so the first thing actually that jumped out at me was that it was on a September 11th. Like, yeah. Huh? Well, yeah, that. 
but uh, in within that sentence even is I've never heard you do recorder's log in any other uh, <laughs> any other clip. We, we talked about way back when the show first started. We kept waiting for a captain's log moment, and that yeah, might be as close as we're gonna yeah, get. Yeah, well, it's it's happened. That's yeah. Was that Star Trek influence or was that Ace Ventura influence? I don't know. You know, I I feel like it was just like the way that they, that they did it, like when, uh, in the tel in the t- in the television, in the <laughs> movie, in the TV, in the picture box, in the pictures. That's what they do, you know. They go captain's log, recorder's log. I think it was it was sort of pretty much a spoof off of the Shatner uh, captain's log. Or sure. I guess at that rate, it would probably be Picard. Um, you know, with um, yeah. yeah, especially if you spend time at my house. Yeah, ninety four is kind of the height of next generation. Yeah, the my pa- and my parents as well were huge Trekkies, so um, I'm sure it was on all the time. Uh, the note I have about that. It, by putting it as recorder's log is due to the fact that I guess it had predated my program, which we had spoken about on an earlier episode. This is a <whistles> of the Danziger Zone, like boop 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 boop, like news bulletin. Oh my god, <laughs> Sarah is dying. Her hair blue, motherfuckers. Big deal. <laughs> yeah, and just taking things that were uh, present in your life that you didn't really have a handle on. And yeah, like, being like this is what a news intro music sounds like. This is this is how you talk when you're starting a recording. Even better about that clip uh, is that I called the car a Subaru Shellback. That is not the name of the car. So, uh, imagine it though; it's like um, one of those outback station wagons that serve a hatchback. I actually can't even visualize the car. I keep thinking of your mom's car, which was a legacy. Yeah, your car was an impressive. But yeah, I think. I think at the time we might have had like an old white Subaru that which was before the Impressas came out. Really, I think that predates the Outback as well. Was it the Forester then? Which well, was... actually no. If it was '94, it had to be. We had a '93 Impreza that I inherited at some point. How did that go? So we probably had that. It was probably that car, the green Impreza. It's a great ride. <laughs> How did that I just go want to point out how it? how white kid this is of us, by the way, discussing oh, yeah. all the various models. Of Subaru. <laughs> oh no, it's great, especially for upstate. It's like every other car you pass on the road was a Subaru. So literally, it's like, oh, which kind of Subaru do you have? Yeah, no, I went oh to- <laughs> that one. And my dad is a huge imp- uh, Subaru fanatic. I remember in '92 he got us a Subaru, and it was all downhill from there. Because every new car that we had was, aside from one car that he would have on his own, was a Subaru. My mom, all she had was Subarus. I feel like it was just an upstate thing to do. You had to buy an all-wheel drive car, and no other car was affordable than a Subaru unless you had enough change to throw around to buy an SUV or something. Well, and Subarus also, too, were actually, they are still really well-made cars. It's kind of a hippie thing, too. Even when I lived in Atlanta, one of the, one of the high schools, we've talked about that before, one of the high schools I went to is a really big hippie school, and like all the everybody had a, all the kids drove like ten year old Subarus because mm-hmm. yeah they last they, and... yeah they 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 run until the wheels fall off I mean yeah and you don't really need an all wheel drive car in suburban Atlanta but yeah there's they support gay really quality no... in some way right, I don't like, know how but they support you yeah, like animal rights and gay co- and gay people and all those wonderful liberal hippie. I always assume they do because of all the bumper stickers I see on Subarus. But well, I don't lesbians know that also as love Subarus. It's actually yeah. What is that? Why? I don't know, dude. I can't tell you don't sure. have to speak on behalf. You were gonna say Ryan. Oh, I was I was just being kind of romantic about how like the Subarus were always like the 
the escape for all of my friends. Uh, one of my friends had a, a red Subaru hatchback, one of the old GLs, so it was like big and boxy. And we'd always escape into it and pile nine people into it when leaving high school and getting into trouble and driving that thing at ridiculous speeds when it had 300-something thousand miles on the odometer. The annual transmission probably, too. Oh, yeah. I didn't know anyone with a Subaru that wasn't a manual besides, I think, your mom. Yeah, my dad's, that, that first car that we had was manual. And I remember learning to drive on it and so failing in a most fantastic fashion in a parking lot of some school in Kingston. <laughs> and that's where we learned. And it was just the worst. If it was any other car, maybe someone could vouch for this, that if it was like a Honda or a Toyota, or even a freaking Volkswagen, any other car. Then a Subaru for a manual transmission. I never. I still have no idea how to drive manual, and it's an embarrassing admission. I think at it's thirty-one, of the, but you know. I think it's. One, I never actually learned how to drive manual transmission either. It's one of those things I wish I'd picked up. And but now that I live in New York, when am I ever going to need that skill? But I do think, from what I've been told, it's harder to learn how to drive on a manual just because not only do you have to learn how to brake and accelerate and not run the car into a ditch. You still have to also shift gears at the same time. Sure, I mean, but it also depends on if you live in the city versus when you live in the country. In the country, it's very important to have it because you have more control of the car in certain situations. But in the city, uh, why would you need it? Because you're stuck in traffic all the time. Yeah. It's just a freaking burden and a half to have to deal with having your feet on the clutch and the and the gas and the brake because chances and are... you got to keep feeding the hamster its, like, food pellets so that it keeps the AC running. Never forget about the hamster. <laughs> Damn it, Alon. <laughs> Jesus. The most telling part about this clip, um, which I wanted to talk about, was the fact that you're pissed off at your dad. What, what on earth could you be pissed off at your dad about? Honestly, I have no idea. The, the only thing I can think of is that we were in deeply entrenched in some sort of video game session, and my dad showed up, and he was like a little early or something, and I didn't want to leave. But then when I went to leave, he went to talk to your dad. That's the only thing I can think of. And I, I remember sitting in the back of that car for at least, like, 10 or 15 minutes before you found me. I don't remember anything after that. I think that's a pretty good memory for someone who said that he doesn't remember anything. I think I remember uh, listening to this tape with you at some point when I was young. So that kind of imprinted the event in, in my memory a little bit more. This Probably is... a lot like Sarah and her photos, actually. Speaking of photos, um... He, photos is really how you make your living. You are a photographer now. Uh, when did you get into photography, and was that something that you were into before you got into it? Into it? Not really. Um, when I was really little, I wanted to be either a, a pilot or a marine biologist. This has come up before. Yep, and uh, I... I got some really, really bad guidance from a guidance counselor one year in high school, and she kind of made me construct my schedule in a way that I couldn't possibly graduate with a New York Regents diploma, because I wanted to switch my language from French to German. I think it's like the, the following year, after we did all this thing with the shuffling everything around, uh, she came to me and she was just like, so you can't, you can't graduate on time. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And she explained that I need a certain number of years of credits with the same language instead of the way that we had it split up. So she was like, the only way you can do this 
is if you take a five credit music sequence and a five credit art sequence. And until that point, I had absolutely no art credits. And I was in band, um, but it wasn't something that I wanted to continue doing. And, I mean, my parents were both kind of artsy, and I really didn't want anything to do with that until I was forced to take art classes, I think, my junior year of high school. Up to that point, were you a rebellious conservative like Alex P. Keaton? Ah. Uh, Kind of just a rebellious ultra liberal. Okay. Um, <laughs> but further left. Than more it... than you. Yeah, yeah. I tried to go further than my parents in that same direction, and yet try to be nothing like them. It really mm. didn't. It didn't work out. At How all. does that work? Well, you exactly. know, rebellion is it always didn't. rebellion is always so rational. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was no end game. I think. What instrument did you play? Uh, well, I started playing the saxophone in elementary school, and then uh, our elementary school band ran out of flute players, and my dad had a flute, so I picked up the flute for a little while and switched off. I was the only person in the band who was allowed to play two instruments, so I felt special. And then uh, when I got into high school, I was the only male flautist, and that was kind of alienating because no matter how good I was at it I was always the last person in the row um, and then I picked up the electric bass when my sister picked it up and she immediately put it down after I started playing it so I kind of took over as a bass guitar player in a in a band that had no stringed instruments huh. so if you didn't get into art until later in high school and you do photography now Another common question on the show, how did you get from high school in Woodstock to working as a photographer now in New York City? What's the, what's the cliff notes? Well, I, when I got into photography, it didn't actually fit in my schedule. So it was one of the only classes where uh, one of the art teachers was able to let me take it kind of as like an independent study thing. Uh, especially since so much of it was just done during people's study halls. They'd go into the photo room and just hang out and develop their work and do stuff like that. And then right after high school, I started working with Elliot Landy, who is a photographer who did many of the, well, quote-unquote official photos of the Woodstock 69 Festival. Um, so I started working around his studio. I learned how to do photo retouching. Um, I kept taking photos because I started taking photos in high school, and this was like a couple years after uh, that had begun. And... Then I kind of just got really good at Photoshop. So I'm a photo retoucher for an e-commerce company uh, during the week. And, you know, when the season's right for weddings in New York, I do wedding photography on weekends. That's beautiful. And, you know, and to think that, and that all that be, with that being done, you still had music as sort of like a little bit of a, a backdrop, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a lot more true in high school than it was in college. A lot of my time was spent lending out my equipment during college, and then I eventually just left it up at my parents' house. Yeah, it's much like with me not ever having the need to want to play basketball ever again, because <laughs> with the school that I went to, we're always in need of athletes, quote-unquote. But um, the fact that I went got to college... Yeah, being in intramural basketball play probably isn't the right thing to do for a 5'7", 150-pound weakling. Probably <laughs> not. 
But I feel you on that. Um, we have another clip that uh, you're. See, we had all these names for the Danziger Zone, like when we were. You were rambunctious Ryan. So this clip, I, I don't really remember what is in this clip, but there, I think it was for my twelfth birthday um, that I had you and a few other. Ed Brooks, I think, was also over too, and this other kid, Snow O'Connell, who we've uh, confirmed is a badass BMX rider. Um, in California, so nice. the three of us were, and then like some other kids were hanging out at the house playing video games, and I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I think it's going to be pretty special. How about Ryan's story now it's time for Ryan, 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 Yo, see, like, um, um, see this guy Johnny, like, he went outside, and and he saw like the bushes rattling and stuff, and then he went back inside and he had a dream, and he said the bushes rattling, and then and then like this vampire guy comes out of the bushes and sucks his blood, right? And then when he came out of his dream and he went outside, the bushes were rattling, and this vampire guy jumps out, and you know what he says? He says, um um um, I have to go to the bathroom. Bye. 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 That was like a direct ripoff of Animaniacs. Correct. <laughs> okay, just wanted to make that clear. I, I have a feeling maybe right before that clip I might have done something of that sort of in that similar vein. And then Ryan had to chime in with his own. I don't know. I mean, it, it was a pretty good one. That's possible. I, I remember watching a lot of Animaniacs, but I don't actually remember any of the episodes at all. Yeah, and I remember some of the recurring characters, especially ones that sp spun off later in that same sort of... Animaniacs, Warner Brothers verse kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Some of the characters they always had the recurring bits like "I love you, bye bye, the little girl." Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were just talking about the the good pigeons. The yeah, the good day. pigeons. That yeah, that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember any like Pinky in the Brain. Like I don't remember any of their anything specifically any of the characters got into, but I remember the recurring segments that. My favorite Pinky in the Brain was when they wanted to do a a song that everyone would love, and their template for this song was. Uh, uh, a guy who was like a Billy Ray Cyrus proxy, and he had a song that was like, Don't Tell My Head, My Empty Hollow Head. <laughs> oh my god, I remember this. It was great. But all of it still holds up if you get the chance to watch it. Like, all the educational parts are still awesome and funny. And I think the even, country song. Even, even if some of it's outdated, like some of the country songs. I was gonna say, the country anymore. song, that's one of the things that everybody remembers. Is <laughs> Not all of them exist, but they... You know. were, you, were you big into cartoons when you... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we couldn't get a great selection of them in my, on my fuzzy TV. And when we did get them, I was only getting, like, half the picture anyways. And, you know, the sound was so terrible that I was, like, sitting right in front of the TV, and most of it's... But some of it comes through, and you're just like, that was probably funny. Okay, I'm enjoying <laughs> this. I swear I'm enjoying this. I'm curious if, you know, if, there, if you had an upbringing of TV shows that you wouldn't otherwise have watched on your own that maybe your parents watched. Um, maybe late night television or certain sitcoms. I don't think so. Sneaking out after my bedtime into the little hallway outside of my bedroom upstairs. And for some reason my parents had an old TV that was there and I turned it on and I watched about half an episode of ALF before my parents caught me. <laughs> And I thought it was the most amazing thing ever. Worth it. One fateful day at college when someone was like, let's watch ALF! And I'm like, oh my god, this was real? <laughs> this is not some weird twisted childhood half-remembered dream. I can't watch this. My mom's going to yell at me. I have to go home now. Exactly. Excuse I just get red-faced for the entire yeah. episode. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, you know, like the things you can get away with as a kid. You know, you can't 
for whatever reason, get away with watching TV. My house was constructed in such a way that I would have all the TVs of public domain was all upstairs on the second floor. And so I would have to like sneak up very, very quietly. Couldn't make any noise on the steps. When I was a older in like middle school and high school and I was on the internet on AOL and I would have <laughs> to walk downstairs after, you know, disconnecting the dial up and walk very quietly so as to not wake anybody up when I walked another flight of stairs because that computer room was on the third floor and I just it, <laughs> you're lucky that clearing the cache and hiding your history didn't make any noise I feel like we should put out like an, a, a bounty on an AOL CD if somebody out there can find us one of those old I used to have one do that. we'll get so many of them I don't know if people still have them I threw it like no, no one still keeps them around, but they're just there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one landed into my pile of CDs that I've moved with since I was in high school, basically. And I know I have it somewhere, but I don't even want to look through there. <laughs> right, like, we never had AOL, but I somehow still got AOL CDs in the mail. If we were, if, if we ourselves, individually, were the one of our friends that were the computer savvy... It, I was not the one, and for my group of friends, Ryan was always the one that was the most computer savvy, if not Ben Anderson, in a much different way, I think. Uh, but with Ryan, uh, you, you were very much uh, uh, all about like coding and you know creating your own website. And At one point, um, me and some friends had a conspiracy theory website. Nice. What? Um, which... Were they your own original theories? N- not really. Um, I... I remember, I actually, I just recently visited this friend. Uh, he lives in Mexico now, um, and he does, uh, like, internet marketing stuff. And uh, he was telling, he was reminding me about it, and, like, we had a website that had some information about HARP, which was, like, weather control What is machines. it? Does it stand for something? I can't remember what it was at all. It's, I, this doesn't it's sound like it's about at all. H-A-A-R-P, I think. Okay. I'm sure it has something to do with A-A-R-P anyways. Harpo. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I remember at one point uh, we woke up and I I was staying over at his house and he just is standing there and he says, our website's been hacked. All the text had been changed and the title was, this is a pro-government propaganda website. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. But, you know, that was a time when internet security wasn't a thing. No, no certainly nobody was talking about it in the same way. They had passwords. It was your cat's name. Yeah, I, th- I think everyone had the same passwords and, and all that stuff, and ours were probably something like dick, fart. 69. <laughs> No, no, we were not high, we were not smart enough to put pat, to put numbers in our passwords yet. That was the Dick Fart sixty nine is totally an AOL screen name. How am I supposed to remember numbers <laughs> all on passwords? Is that is a Twitter handle available? Can I, can I, register, register. Dick Fart sixty nine. I'll get on. Hold on, I'll at check. Dick Fart sixty nine. I'm working if you're on listening it, I'm to this right now, tweet at Dick Fart sixty nine <laughs> yeah. with any questions you have. <laughs> What was your first AOL screen name? Well, what, what, I guess ask everybody what their first AOL screen names were. I, I don't remember the first one that I had, but I know I had one at some point that was Catalyst, and it had a bunch of numbers and symbols in it wherever I could substitute them. Of course. Like you do. Like you do. Melissa? I don't remember one of my early ones. I remember the last one I had in college, but when AOL was 
Instant Messenger was still kind of a thing, and I was going through my moody art student phase. Uh, it was Ne le fais pas, which was French for don't do it. Because <laughs> so friggin' highbrow. What the fuck? I love it. <laughs> because I was a moody art student. <laughs> sure. Um, my first AOL screen name was Grifter485, because I was a big fan of Image Comics. Nice. <laughs> I had a, a, a screen name, EZDZ. X and the Z's were lowercase and the E and the D and the X were uppercase. Easy dizzy X. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was in eighth grade and at some juncture I, I was in a conversation with a classmate over in some messenger and he sent me this link and I didn't think anything of it and clicked it and it was like a file or something. I don't know what the hell it was but I think it should have been telling that this guy was even talking to me because I was not very popular at my new school, and the fact that this guy who was talking to me was like this big sports star uh, with the, the soccer and basketball team, and like, why the fuck was he IMing me? But he IMed me, and I was like, oh, hey, what's up? And like, I downloaded this thing, and then I remember I opened up the, it was an EXE, and EXE will go down as like the three letters I always stay wary of because here I am downloading this thing, and what does it do? It Screen goes black, and it spells out in these just very rudimentary DOS-like fonts in red coloring, your disc is dead, very slowly, and I'm just like looking at this horrified, I'm just, and then I freaked out, and the screen did some like scorched earth type of uh, flourish into the, into the ends of the screen, and <laughs> I was like, no, up. no! I just ruined the family computer. No! And uh, I had to really trace back what the fuck was going on because the kid who sent me this message, I thought that he had done this deliberately and he had no idea. So I had to play gumshoe and I came up completely short in finding out the real truth about what had happened. And I don't know if, if there ever was a real hard answer about what had happened but i totally downloaded a virus to my parents computer i'm not even turning off the computer before it could execute but clearly it already the damage has been done and i'm just i'm freaking out we had to wipe the entire hard drive i had to be on the phone with i don't know even know if it was the the computer company or the aol himself but i remember i talked to somebody from aol and they or wherever it was trying to troubleshoot this problem and they were just like well you know, it doesn't really help that your name is basically a hacker's name. I'm like, what are you talking about? And they said, well, your name is capital E, lowercase z, capital D, lowercase z, X. And that, my friend, is totally a hacker's they name. They didn't call you my friend. They didn't call you my friend. <laughs> and I didn't call them my friend either. Nuh-uh. Fuckers. Yeah. You know, it is kind of telling, though, that you, you would call AOL for tech support with or, that kind of thing. I mean, because but... with when you start using AOL, there's just, there's no internet. It's true. It's, it's the internet with training wheels is what exactly. AOL was. It's what, and, and, and for some people out there, it still is, incidentally. And it still exists. There are people who are buying AOL 13 or 14.0 CDs, probably. I, I know people who still have AOL email addresses. Successful photographers. We've talked about this, actually, I think, at some point on the show. Your, the domain for your email address and like people who still use AOL. Or... Mm-hmm. Imagine paying $15 a month for that email address. I will say, though, I think I might have mentioned this last time we talked about email addresses. The perfect example, though, of the exception to the you still have an AOL email address rule is my uncle has just his first name in yeah. AOL. <laughs> I remember. Like, he was such an early adopter of, of the internet and AOL and all of that. Like, uh, 
before it was even a thing, he tells stories about like plugging the phone into the t- like the box that plugged the TV into the phone that you could just like watch the data stream. Oh, weird. I, didn't know I had no idea yeah. about that. That's thing. Matrix shit. Yeah, yeah. that That's is awesome. True Matrix shit. Uh, you can see the ones and zeros, man. Yeah, so he gets a pass on still using AOL. Sure. <laughs> um, in my in my early days of of Photoshop, uh, I was like downloading fonts, and I downloaded a like Russian script font. Yeah. And uh, I had like after I installed it or whatever, it was some weird like translation program that came with it and i was like oh that would be interesting so i installed it on my computer which had the access to the telnet for my mom's work Hmm. uh, (laughs) okay so if you don't know remember what telnet was it was like the worst intranet let me talk to my office while i'm at home telecommuting thing that like you couldn't even really type on it it had this weird you have you can't use backspace because that means something else inside telnet like ugh. So some Russian hacksaws got from my computer into the telnet of my mom's work and used that to set up IRC channels on their server so that they could talk about Russian hacking stuff. That's brilliant. It was nuts, and it was totally my fault. In acrylic, well, with acrylic characters, like you were able to translate. Or oh it... no, I have no idea about that. Like I was it's not. Actually, no, rel- after that point, I was just in trouble. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, that's sure. that was actually a relatively. else was relevant. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a relatively recent development in the history of the internet that you can now code in non-Latin characters in Cyrillic or um, Mandarin or any of the different Asian alphabets that Unicode. Yeah, I mean, for a long time it um, it was just latin letters and numbers and so the, sure. the russians who hacked your mom's work network oh, i have no idea yeah. honestly I've, i i don't just remember my mom asking like did you download anything bad and i was like no <laughs> and they were like there's some russian people and i was like no <laughs> ruskies <laughs> just keep denying better go get them <laughs> we have so much show left. We uh, we're gonna take a quick break uh, for a little promos, and uh, when we come back, we're gonna actually listen to a clip from the Ice Zone, right? Lost and Rewound. Do you want to be on Lost and Rewound? Do you have a Danziger Zone of your own, gathering dust in your parents' basement? Then send us your tapes. We want whatever you've got. From elementary school spelling bees to high school mixtapes, send it all to lostandrewound at gmail.com. Come on now, get embarrassed with us. The Danziger Zone was kind of its own invention, if you will. Um, sort of came out of sort of modest beginnings of just trying to be sort of a variety show um, that really just entertained one person, and that was myself. Um, the fact is, is that, um, it entertained more than just myself, and I inspired you to make your own recording series, and you dropped, like, an exclusive on us, like, rap (laughs) style, dropping the Ice Zone, the first ever Ice Zone. What was your intention with the Ice Zone? Like, what were you trying to do? I, I had absolutely no intentions. I, I'm actually honestly surprised that your Danziger Zone didn't inspire more spinoffs amongst our friends. Like, late at night, during sleepovers, and, like, just whispering to it, uh, to the little tape recorder. I don't even remember what kind of tape recorder I had. I think at one point I was using a giant boombox that had, like, 
it had two cassette decks in it, oh, yeah. and it had a subwoofer on the top, yep. and it was just like, had to be at least 70 pounds. Like, and my mom had trouble like, moving it. It was like super tiny. Yeah, I it didn't was find it until halfway yeah. through the, the, the tape, at least. You had one side that had the record button, and one side that had the play, so you had... Uh, oh yeah, I could you, dub you, my own. You could you could actually record, um, and there was a CD player too uh, in it as well, or the radio. So you just pressed record. You could record a tape, a CD, you know, somebody on the radio, whatever the case may be. So you had many different ways to record. I know that model very well, although I'm pretty sure it must be a Sony. I don't exactly know what it was. But yeah, I have no memory of big what ass it was. Box. Yeah, it was just giant. I dropped so, that thing on my toe too many times. Yeah, I have a weird memory, uh, like a hazy memory of stealing your recorder at some point. I don't know which one it was, but what? stealing. I it was. A it lot was of a... people seem to steal the dancer. I understand, but but there's a mul- but there's multiple recorders. Well, this one was uh, like a tall rectangle with a handle on the top, and it yeah. had the buttons under the handle. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, that was and... the first recorder I ever used. I think it just predated the dancer goes on actually. But I, I remember sitting in uh, in Sarah's room with Sarah, and we were making recordings behind your back. I don't know if it was on the Danziger Zone, but, you know. That's cold. I mean, it's great. And uh, I'm Welcome excited. Welcome to the Ice Zone. And that's the perfect moment, too. You got iced. Let's, <laughs> let's listen to a clip from the Ice Zone. All right, now. Here's what it says on my little disposal calendar type thing. Where you rip off the page, then you throw it away. Here's what it says. Martin Martin Luther King Jr. first became acquainted with Mohanda's grand his philosophy of nonviolence at Crozer Theological Seminary in Chester, Pennsylvania. Bachelor of Divinity, 1951. Years later, in 1959, he was warmly received by India's Prime Minister Nehru and disgusted with flowers of discussed with flowers of Gandhi the concept of Stayagara devotion of truth. King became more convinced that nonviolent res- resistance was the most potent weapon available of oppressed people. Tell me about that. Struggle for Yeah. Kind of weird. Is this a place you can ride? Hard to read. Right here. Really? Right here? Pretty big, yeah. but sounds like you're, you're in class and your teacher's yelling you. You don't do this stupid yeah. fucking recruiter off. You're gonna have to go into the hall. in my journey. No, that's really my mom and my sister. They were having a bad year. Hi, it's been a long time. Six or seven years. I just went skiing. I did hurt my ankle today. Here's who likes you. I like beep. I know beep, 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 beep. Like me too. Most likes beep, beep. Why? I wonder. Gotta go. Bye. I love beep. I love beep. I love beep. Here's January. That's kind of corny, isn't it? <laughs> so those, were those two segments that we edited together to shorten it? No. So like a, or what was that? We said that there was that weird transition in the middle. You were reading about Gandhi, and by the way, great, well, good, good attempt at Mahatma. Yeah, no, those are I not was, a combination. Those are 
a combination of two life events happening at once. Yeah, I think what was happening was I was I was playing from my cassette into Elon's microphone into the Danziger zone. Right. And that the the people you heard in the background were on my uh, ice zone recording and I guess it was my sister and my mom. But it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense Does that it? my my mom used to teach pottery classes. But I don't think my sister took pottery classes. But I understand why she was taking away her sweets. Mm. Well, I guess what's really more telling is is the fact that you're reading. It's it's Martin Luther King Day, or and so you don't. Or that's when you're recording this is when it's Martin Luther King Day. So you're at home and you're reading a, uh, a biography. Um, pretty well for an eleven-year-old. There's some big, some big words in there. Yeah. Seminary divinity. <laughs> and so while you're reading this in the background, downstairs audibly, your mother is yelling at your sister Chelsea for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, just like she did something, and and the contrast is brilliant because you're just in your zone. You're in your ice zone, and out of the ice zone is just. The, the the Reich slash rich zone. Yeah. I I mean, I think uh, part of the Ice Zone recordings was kind of like an audio diary sure. for me. Probably before I started recording this stuff, I had a journal. And when I was writing in the journal, I had a whole, like, code sheet that fit in the spine of the journal. So when I... When I was writing words, I would come up with a, like a cuneiform or a picture for it, and I would write that on the code sheet, and then I would write out an entire journal entry in code. Hmm. And so in order to read it, I had to take the code back out. And I remembered some of the words, but some of it I didn't. And eventually it became so big that like there was no way you could miss the code sheet. Right. Because it was whole words. Sure. So there was really like... I really wanted a sense of privacy in it, so that's why I guess I was recording beeps instead of people's names. Right, I was about to say, I feel like you were protecting the innocent, in a sense, with all your crushes or something, and instead you were, um, instead of saying their names, you would, uh, create a license. You know, beep really liked what I said today. Yeah, and and that makes a whole lot of sense because I think uh, the person that my friend Russ liked in elementary school and and uh, junior high had two first names. Do tell. Oh, I can't. Okay, never mind. <laughs> beep. Beep. No, I mean, like, I could talk about all my like my first crushes, but it's not going to make a freaking difference because because they still won't like you. They still, they, they still won't like me, this is true. And also the fact that there's no real relevant clips that are worth playing, that are worthy of playing, I should say, that illustrates some kind of uh, a demonstrate, a demonstrate, I should say, a thesis, let me start that again, that they do not enforce the thesis for whatever theme that we have for any one episode or the other. Mm-hmm. I guess is really what I was trying to go to. But, but we'll have a first crush episode sometime. One day. Just save that up. That will come up eventually, I'm sure. It will, Melissa. <laughs> it will. Um, <laughs> um, there's one clip, actually, that we I think we... Uh, Mine is my wife. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Staring daggers across the room. 
if you're going to have a, a diary of sorts, you know, either you change the names or you completely eliminate them from being completely audible. You, you, I don't know. I mean, it's. I guess uh, it depends though too on if it's a diary. There's a difference between having a personal blog or to use a modern equivalent, a personal blog, or like making tapes that you might share with somebody else later. That I think sort of censoring out whose names and people's identities. That's. I don't know, like, in sort of my terms of keeping a personal journal, like, if it's just for me, yeah. like... What would you have done? This is, a, maybe this is too d- deep of a, th- a theoretical of a question, yeah. Melissa, but as somebody who has used Live Journal in the past, yeah. if you were doing the same thing that Ryan did, and you were creating an audio version yeah. of your personal experiences, how would you go about either editing out the real experiences, or would you actually uh, keep the experiences but change the names? Yeah. I sort of thinking back to the height where I was sort of in the height of my live journal days in all of my angsty adolescence. Uh, I mean, I don't think at that point in time I would have really bothered to, or would have had the thought even to filter or change anybody's name. It's sort of that age of innocence still on the internet we were talking about earlier that I now, in retrospect, are thinking about it. And granted, too, we all sort of have professional day jobs and straight lives and don't want to get Googled by HR. You're now more careful about what you, who you link to what when you post things online. Oh my goodness. It, I've been gotten into so much trouble for the same thing. It's one of the reasons that I don't even That you don't work. <laughs> yeah, I don't work at all. No, I, I, don't, I, I had a lot. I, no, I didn't have a, have a live journal, but I, I had like an online journal in college, and that was just the biggest mistake. Definitely the biggest yeah. mistake I ever had. But I also remember too, like we when I was live. That's the biggest mistake. Was having well, one of them. Top <laughs> ten biggest mistakes of ever made. Number ten. No, go on. It was that we there was also a community of people that I was sort of we would all put up our posts and we'd comment on each other's things and we were in groups and stuff together. So I mean, there was sort of this organic community and we just you used people's names because that was their name. Like it got really obnoxious to say my friend from math class with this or other guy that I change the names and you know, use the fiction. Uh, Style. Yeah, but at, at, at 12, 13, like... You... Yeah, but then exactly, you, gotta, you don't think that. But then you got to start keeping a paper with all the names on it and who they actually are. Or you, and then you have so, codes. And then you have like so many did. names on the paper that you can't miss the paper. And so it all... I mean, at, at that age, too, like, you're not talking about people on the internet in order to, uh, like, keep them private. If you're going to talk about them, yeah. it's it's probably like, oh, this person's my friend or this person's a jerk. You know, and cyberbullying wasn't really a thing back then, so it was kind of like, oh, well, this person's saying things on the internet. Who cares? Right, we were more sort of free-flowing and less filtering with... I think it was a combination of age and also, to the internet being a relatively new technology. There's a clip after the Ice Zone was played where we just sort of were chatting, um, sort of sort of like a recap, if you will. Um, let's take a listen. Hey, it's me, Elon Zanziger, and here I am with my, here I am as the co-host for this, for today, Ryan Rich. Hello! Right, here we are, Danziger's own update. And we just like to give you, uh, Ryan, a special tribute to his new ice zone. And we also like to tell him that he, to tell the truth, this is what it's coming down to. So Danziger's zone is, it's the first of, of its kind to be in, to in control. But then there was Rama, and that was Brooks. And now we have the third of wonder of the recording business, Ryan Rich, with ISO. And now we're going to have an interview with him right now. Ryan, how do you feel about being the third wonder of the recording business? Well, as everybody in school says, 
first is best, second is the same, but third is the one with the disconnected brain. Mm. I hate it. Yeah. It better be first do, or do second. You, do other people do other sequences with you? Oh, Russ does a couple. I don't think he did any, so. Does any, like, any other friends do it? Well, I know Blackie and Oreo do, but all they do is purr. Yeah, well, so is Peppy and purr and Peppy. That's right. And oh, one more thing. See, being the third is also kind of nice. Because if I were the... Because you get your third, your wait, third no. place in skiing. Because you're third place yeah. in skiing. It feels quite good. Also... It's like winning the bronze in the Olympics. Also, really, I'm on the fourth. Because Sarah and Chelsea did a little recording before me. And that's where I got most of my... Oh, oh, they... they Believe me, they got, they got it from me. They got it from yeah, me. Yeah, but it, it was Sarah, Sarah's might, mighty wimpy. It was they Sarah. were singing a song go Rain drops, rain drops, rain drops, rain drops. Wait, wait, wait. Does Sarah and Chelsea have something? They have their own recorder. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well Well, in the recording business we have no choice but to say that they are the fourth wonder in the recording business. They are the third, I'm the fourth. Oh, pish posh. They're not they suck. <laughs> they should be ten. Yeah, they should really be get a million. Yeah. How do you feel about being in the dance zone and in the ice zone? Well, actually, it's pretty good. But I think I'm thinking of dropping rambunctious off of my name, okay? What, 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 what do you want to change it into? Repulsive. Oh, yeah, so you can, like, be still crazy? Yeah. Oh, all right. We have now a new name for Ryan. Repulsive Ryan. <laughs> what was your idea when you thought repulsive? Was that just like the boy thing to do? Who knows? I mean, that was the first R word that came to mind probably, but it probably did describe me pretty well at that stage of adolescence. As opposed to rambunctious. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if I'm going to change from rambunctious to something, why not repulsive? It's so close. Melissa? Oh, everybody's the one. Everybody was the wonder of the recording industry. I was waiting for like the third wonder of the. Yeah, I like how in the recording industry we have no choice but to say that Ryan is the third of its kind. Well, in such an insulated environment as and Woodstock in the mountains, we really had no idea what a recording industry was. It's so true. The recording industry of Woodstock Elementary. You were the third one. Yeah, I mean, I, I was in, in Woodstock Elementary, but I was lucky enough to. Uh, at least be involved in their recording industry. You went to a, a school called Phoenicia, and Woodstock and Phoenicia were part of the same district, but in very different parts of the district. Well, yeah, that was uh, why I had to pronounce my name Rich, because uh, so much of the surrounding area of Phoenicia is uh, Republicans, uh, trailer parks, that uh the level of uh acceptance i guess of someone who doesn't sound uh anglo is kind of pretty low in that elementary school phoenicia is located in an area of upstate new york that is surrounded by the esopus river of which is a huge tourist destination in the summer um, because of the tubing. So people will come across <laughs> all over the states because that's a tourist destination in tubing. It's it, it, it mean from what I understand. And then they got hit really bad with Sandy. And I felt really terrible because you couldn't even get into the damn town. 
it was just really awful. Like yeah. they, their bridge got just demolished. Well, I mean, they kind of built it on an island between uh, where two rivers combine, I guess. And so, as soon as one of those bridges gets knocked out, it's only a matter of time before the next one. Does. It wasn't then, Sandy, actually. I'm it's all mud. It was Irene, wasn't it? Yeah, Irene. It was Irene that that demolished it. Um, so apologies for that mistake. Um, but it, in any and event, apologies for it happening. Yeah, you know? apologies sorry. for the mud. Yeah, um, Irene, because Sandy hit the city terribly, Irene actually did a huge number on uh, the Northeast in, like, the upstate and in New England. Vermont, New Hampshire got just completely sidelined but yeah. uh, in harlem we just got a lot of rain yeah new york right. city actually survived relatively well but it did dump a shit ton of rain as it went and it became a very slow moving storm the further north it went but back to phoenicia phoenicia uh, was a little more backwoodsy right and mm-hmm. that was just the closest school for you and so it, you didn't fit at all well into any of your did you you had some friends that you had yeah yeah i had some friends um and i mean you make friends wherever you go to school, sure. I guess. But uh, I think most of my friends were even further out on, in, than uh, the town of Phoenicia itself. Um, it was almost like in order to to get people who were on the similar wavelength, I had to go even further past uh, the, uh, the point where it was kind of uh, overly conservative. Describe the first day of seventh grade for you. Uh, seventh grade... Well, uh, we had a sixth grade field trip, I think, uh, where a bunch of people from the high school were camp counselors for us, basically. Um, And I think we went to some place outside of Boston, and I remember dissecting a squid and having all of the high school girls who were uh, uh, chaperoning immediately disperse. Um, And when, when we got into seventh grade, uh, we got off the bus and we walked in and I saw a bunch of these people who are our counselors and none of them wanted anything to do with us because we were, of course, the new seventh graders. Even though uh, they knew us and had nicknames for us, they were like, oh, God, it's these kids. Let's run. Um, it's, the, it's the older kids running from the younger kids. Yep. That's... Um, well, they want to... There's a certain element strange. to it. I remember... Sort of when you get being higher in the social ranks, once you get into like eighth grader, then going on to high school, like being an upperclassman, there's a certain point of, okay, yeah, you recognize the younger grades of the younger kids, but you don't want people to think you're friends with them. Like, I guess it's just a matter of the, the, the definition of uh, trying to associate. Uh, t- trying to associate is one thing, but I didn't realize it was that like repulsed by repulsive Ryan <laughs> that they were running from him. Well, I mean, it wasn't just people. me. It was all the kids on our sure. s- who were from our sixth grade class trip. Um, right. You don't want to be caught hanging out with sevies. Yeah. Mm. Is those, that what they were called? Those are the smelly kids with the giant backpacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so well, the giant backpack uh, stereotype notwithstanding. Um, it, it must have been nice to at least be completely in a different realm than just Phoenicia. And then you had all these other people who were probably a lot more in your... Um, uh, they shared your vision yeah, I was, for a world of the internet. It, well, it was definitely a nice change, um, but it wasn't... I don't think uh, it was really a whole sea change until at least ninth grade or even, even tenth grade. Uh, I think most of my friends stayed pretty much the same through seventh grade, and then hmm. maybe in eighth grade I started to kind of branch out a little bit more. 
but not until high school did things really start to take yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true for, for a lot of people that, sure. you know, once you get into high school, you kind of start experimenting with actually being yourself. I don't know. I feel like it could be different. I think, like, as we've talked about plenty of times, everyone's got their different time that they start to um, figure out who they are. And, and sometimes it doesn't happen until much later. Sometimes it doesn't happen until college and they just remain an entire square or they remain the cool person. They don't get really uh hum, hum, they don't get humble about their lives until college or something I don't mm-hmm. know, it, it always changes but i don't know maybe it's different for me and for you because we um we never went to the same school ryan and i never went to the same school for our entire friendship and that was something that was very rare the fact that we remained friends despite never going to the same school um the fact that we live in the same neighborhood now is kind of cool yeah, uh, but at, at one point we were a block away from each two other. Two blocks, yeah. Um, but the fact is, is, is that throughout grade school, high school, college, never crossed paths, and so there was always like these sort of cliff notes. Oh, oh, what happened to you today? Oh, well, <laughs> let me tell you, and vice versa. Public school for you was a good experience, yes. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the worst experience in the world. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that it was a, a great experience, but, I mean, it definitely opened the world up for me. Public school, I feel like regardless of your actual experience or the quality of education you get, public school is always a character-building experience. That's what the guidance counselor says. <laughs> I never had a guidance counselor. I had a therapist. You had a school therapist? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. That was that was not the case. That would be funny if I had a school therapist some at schools, Day School. Some schools had shrinks, though, had, like, a staff. I feel like every teacher was a built-in therapist. <laughs> you called them by their first name, so that was already a, a form of therapy. That's I could talk to you like a real person. I don't have to call you by your last name. I don't have to wear a hat. We're good. Yeah, well, that think... was your weird school. Yeah. That was my hippie school. Peace, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, one, of, one of my teachers one of my in high more... school was definitely like a therapist to, I think, a lot of the kids. Um, he was one of the more down-to-earth teachers, and I remember... Uh, he never he never really taught according to what the school wanted him to teach until okay. about a month before standardized tests. Um, <laughs> he would just kind of teach kids what he thought they should learn, and uh, I think all the kids really kind of respected him for that. And so there was a lot less uh, craziness in his classroom and a lot more respect. So like dead poets society. And there's like shit. the six to four weeks before region exams. All right, this is what you have to know to actually. Gr- exactly. To add. Uh, to get to graduate from high school, this is what they want you to. This is what they want you to fill bubbles in on next Thursday. Let's go. Here's what you'll be tested on. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, talking about all the learning, uh, teaching, what not have you. I guess uh, there is, in fact, one final clip that uh, fits perfectly into this realm, which um, is called aptly enough Ryan's Learning Center. But it has absolutely nothing to do with what we were just talking about. So we should probably listen and see what happens. We just heard that now Ryan has got something new in the dance zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you have, Ryan? Now it's time for Ryan's Learning Center. Hello from Ryan's Learning Center. A B C D F A Z. Hello. This is lost and found. <laughs> Hello. I lost my backpack. It has a whole bunch of Christmas lights around it, and it's black. 
Okay, I found this. Uh, just to be sure, what's in it? Well, there's the, um, the teddy bear. Okay, is there anything special about this teddy bear? Yeah, um, he's missing one eye. Um, alright, anything else? Yes, there's, um, there's, um, 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 a, um, a black hole. Yeah, um, I can't see the black hole. Use that red, the big red flashlight. Okay, oh, now I see it. And there's a, a cross. What metal is it? It's, um, I believe it's, uh, gold. Okay. And there's a locket. Okay, what does the locket say? What's inscribed on it? It says, Dear Aunt Amy, um, from Aunt Ida. Uh, I'm afraid not. It says, To Amy, from Aunt Geraldo. Oh, I guess the backpack isn't mine. That's why we go through this process. <laughs> this has been a Ryan's Learning Center. A, B, C, D, A, G, Z? We got kind of vaguely pornographic there for all. It's a black hole and use the big red flashlight. And... Hey, well, you know, you need a big red flashlight to see the black hole. There was a Cherry Pop and Daddy's album that I remember you created a pornographic scenario for every single track title. <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds right. Like suit suit, right? Ah, oh, the pink elephant. Ah, oh. you said pink elephant. I said pink oven. Pink elephant. <laughs> I thought it was pink, pink oven. oven is too. way more pornographic. <laughs> pink. And, and you you were saying while we were playing that it reminded you of uh, TSA pat downs. Oh yeah, no, it reminds me of like getting your luggage at lost luggage. Like okay, yeah. Uh, what is the name written on the inside of your underwear? How how many pairs did you pack? Could you describe the shade of? <laughs> How pure is this cocaine? Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably pretty pure. I was in Colombia. Uh-huh. That's the point of this trip. Am I not supposed to be telling you these things? I feel oddly comfortable right now. What, was it, when you went to China, did they do a, like a crazy-ass bad time? You did go to China. China right? was probably the easiest travel experience I've ever had. Crazy. And, uh, you know, this was before 2001, right? Oh, yeah. So I like maybe it's just a moot point because pre-2001, probably travel into anywhere would have been probably a walk in the park. Yeah, I mean, this. I think I went to China with a tour group and never held on to any of my own documents. Um, I don't think I touched my luggage from the point that I left the airport, and I wouldn't have known what to do if someone asked me a question at the airport anyways. I probably would have just froze and pointed at the big, tall teacher. This sketch reminded me a lot of something that you would probably see on SNL. Were you at all into SNL when you were in middle school? I think at some point I had seen a couple uh, SNL skits. Um, I do have like a vague memory of Bill Murray. 
and just not getting the joke at all. That sounds like a Bill Murray effect. That also yeah. sounds like a first childhood encounter with SNL when you were just way too young for any of the jokes. Well, that actually does kind of ring true. Uh, I remember actually in elementary school, my dad had picked me up from the bus and we were we were driving home and we had had a dare uh, assembly that day. Of course. So I think this was fifth grade. And... Um, one no it was sixth grade and so one of the uh one of the fellow students we were naming the dare bear which was a bear with a dare t-shirt on it sure. which was their mascot apparently I'm, i i'm so insulted right now um so we were picking a name for it and one of the one of the students said can we name the bear dildo and <laughs> i have not like, insulted by everyone that. in the class laughed except for me so i was kind of like ha 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 i had no idea yeah. what a dildo was so my dad's giving me a ride home, and I, I tell him the story, and he starts laughing, and I'm like, Dad, what's a dildo? And I just remember him being like, eh. <laughs> Back uh, down to Earth parenting. <laughs> the wind out of his sails. Uh, there was um, a promo for You Can't Do That on Television. Oh my goodness. Uh, in which someone says, Moon the camera! And then it shows two of the cast members naked, from behind with their butts blurred out yeah and i didn't understand what the phrase moon the camera meant <laughs> i was five i think yeah. and i asked my mom several times mom what does moon the camera mean and she was like i'm not telling you and i asked her so many times until she finally said moon means show your butt <laughs> i thought for that kind of show i figured they would have at least just put the moons in front of their butts while facing it and been like Check it out. Yeah, yeah well, no, it, it was it was either like blurred or like black barred or whatever. But it was I don't know. It was crazy that I was five and I that was on yeah. my normal daytime program. The well, Canadians uh, get away with everything. I was say early Nickelodeon <laughs> ordered on the avant garde sometimes. But that show specifically, as just pointed out, because it was made in Canada, um, the government gives them the money and they clearly didn't care about what the fuck they were putting on the air because it was so. Uh, it, it didn't matter as long as it had some kind of educationalism. Of, apparently it did. I don't, I don't know. They originated the sliming, which became like the Nickelodeon <laughs> trademark for decades to come. Yep. They did, and it gave Alanis Morissette a career as famously known. And did it? Or did it just like, was it just like a thing she did as a child? It's a thing she did, and then she went on to be a pop star. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but the point is, is that it was the flagship show for Nickelodeon, which got them on the map. And sad thing, I'm sure we've all stumbled across the, on the internet at some point, those former Nickelodeon studios no longer exists. I think they're JetBlue offices. I can't even go on with the show after hearing that. I'm so... Well, it's time to go anyway. Yeah, then let's I'm wrap, so it. Then so let's wrap dis- it up. That's a- the man's name is Ryan Reich, photographer extraordinaire, and I'm really happy that, you know, on behalf of all of us here at Lost and Around, that you finally got the opportunity to come here. You know, it's only been about over a little over a year that we've been doing the show and it's been a long time coming for you to be sitting down with us. You make us. it sound like it was his fault. <laughs> I thought you'd have me on here earlier. Quite frankly, I'm offended. Good day, sir. <laughs> well, fine. On that note. Well, thank you for being here for as long as you were before storming out. We appreciate it. <laughs> that was my pleasure. Bye. Thanks once again to Ryan Reich and we look forward to having you again on the show. Yeah, anytime. Um, and you can find my photography at ryanreich.com. It's R-Y-A-N-R-E-I-C-H. And uh, yeah, perfect. Pleasure Thanks. being here. Thanks for hanging out, man. Lost and rewound.
Show us a couple tips and pointers. Yeah, sure, no problem. That'd be great. Great. Yeah, well, this is the first level, and this is Donkey Kong's treehouse, and that's okay. where we got our name from. And there's a banana arrow on top of the trees when you first start. Donkey Kong can drop down there, and you can knock the keg out of the floor, and you can roll it up against the wall, and bounce back and ride it. Ah. And Donkey Kong will just cruise straight through the first part of this stage, and it's a good way to get people started off, and just blow over some of the tougher enemies that might have gave them a problem. Hey, 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 you hungry? You want a banana? No. Well, I guess I can show you something else, too. This is a snow level later on in the game. It is snowing. Donkey Kong can now ride, you know, ride in barrels and shoot out. And this one part here is a series of barrels, and if you can navigate it properly, almost perfect, and not miss anything, you can score a bunch of free men at the end of the level. A bunch of free men, not just one. A bunch. A blue balloon comes up, and Donkey Kong can grab it. There it is. It's tough. You gotta get it down perfect. And wow, so you get a bunch of free men. Let's go talk to Isaac. This is Isaac. Isaac, say hello. Hello. Isaac, I was wondering maybe you could uh, show us a couple more pointers. Possible? Yeah, I can do that. No problem. These guys are great. All right. What do we got? We got okay. more snow. Yeah, we have more snow here. Okay. Today. What we're going to do is we're going to jump on this igloo and use this really slow vulture. It looks peculiar. Peculiar enough to get us into a bonus level. Bonus. And I must say, this is one of over a hundred bonus levels. Hundred bonus levels. Yeah, and in this bonus level, you, have you see to, in every game. Absolutely. You have to guess which barrel that this golden medallion is going to wind up in. Like to take a guess? Uh, yeah, the far right. Oh, you're very good. Okay, the second uh, tip I'm going to show you, it involves our little friend Diddy. Diddy. Yeah, Diddy's the cool guy. So you walk over to this little thing here, you jump on top of it. You want to grab that rope, let the rope take you over. Jump right on top of that little stump in the ground. Pick up the TNT, walk over to this oil can, blow it up, fall right into another bonus level. Now what you want to do in this bonus level is jump out of this canister, out of this little can, and grab the balloon. So we have some pointers now. Good thing you came with us. Because you learned some things today that, boy, you're not going to learn just anywhere else. You thought it was going to be a waste of your time, didn't you? Fried green bananas. Bananas out gratin. There we go. I'm so glad we finally got that clip on, after all. Um, thanks again for joining us on this occasion. Um, you can check us out, as you know, everywhere. We went through it all at the top of the show. It's Lost and Rewound. Find us on the internet. Be our friends. Please be our friends. Please. <laughs> Find us on. It's lost and rewound. Find us on the internet. Listen to the show again sometime. And that's kind of it. Lost and Rewound is hosted by Alon Danziger and Melissa Lloyd. Produced by Doug Johnson. Do 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 do. Oh. Wanna talk to my cat, Blackie? Okay. Blackie, hey. here you go. Here's Blackie. Blackie. I wonder if it's Blackie. I did not do that, I swear. Oh.